0: And now let's stand and read our scriptures. It's Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us see this familiar passage in new perspective, that we would identify with the shepherds who are outside, for we are all outsiders in a sense And we need to come back in through the grace of Christ into your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. This is one passage that I have a little bit of a hard time reading in our modern translations. I'm reading from the NIV. The ESV is a good study Bible. I recommend having more than one translation. It gives you kind of stereo vision into what the uh, original Greek or the Hebrew may have been. But I memorized this as a young, young child in the the King James. And it's one I just know. It's written on my heart. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the fields. So we, we use that version in the uh, the Advent reading at the beginning of the message. It's in your, I'll use that kind of language lots of times, particularly in the first part of the message. We tried to teach our children uh, this passage, and I get to tell one more time uh, our family story about when Margaret was almost three years old. Her birthday is in March. Uh, we were teaching her, and there were, in the same country, shepherds abiding in the fields. And she, she just said, and there were in the same country, shepherds fighting in the fields. And he said, no, Margaret, not, not fighting, abiding in the fields. She said, oh, and there were in the same country, shepherds biting in the fields. And then her eyes just got big as it dawned on her, and they were Sore. We love that story. We we love this passage in scripture. Why is it that we love this passage in scripture? I think it's because instinctively, perhaps without even being conscious of it, we identify with the outsiders. The shepherds were out in the fields. They were genuine outsiders. And whether we acknowledge it consciously or not, we are all in fact outsiders. What did our first parents do? Our first parents who were placed in the Garden of Eden had perfect fellowship with God, sinned and turned away from him. Eve was tempted and she ate. She gave to Adam and he ate. And Adam all died. And they were cast out of the Garden of Eden. We live as exiles from that perfect world, perfect place, the kingdom of God. And it wasn't just that it was a nice place to live. It was the fellowship they had with God in the garden. There was no break in relationship, no obstacle in relationship until they sinned. And now we are broken. We are estranged from God. It's not just separated in location. It's estranged in person. If you're estranged from somebody, they may be sitting right next to you, and that makes it harder, doesn't it? If your relationship is broken... We're in, God is everywhere. We're never separate from Him in place, but we're estranged from Him in person because of the sin of our first parents. And we feel that exile when we look at the, the sufferings in this world, when, we, when something hurts us, when, something leave, when we feel left out, when we, uh, whatever the illness is, whatever the broken relationship, we're longing for a better place, a better world. But one of the most poignant places in Scripture is when God placed the angels to guard the door. That our first parents not be able to go back in. They did not have the right to the tree of life. Indeed, it was the grace of God that we don't live forever as sinners estranged from him. He does something better than that. He redeems us through Christ and invites us back in. See, these shepherds who are outsiders were given the good news of the Christ who was born And they were called to come and worship him. It resonates in our hearts. We we might not know why. But it's because we are all outsiders, whether we are high or low. We sang about the wise men. They were court attendants. The gospel went to them in that star, which I believe was the glory presence of God, the Shekinah glory that led the Israelites through the wilderness, God made his presence known. It wasn't a natural star. You can't follow a natural star over to, over to, to sit over a house. But the glory of God revealed to these outsiders by distance. They were from Babylon, but they were high and mighty in the world's terms. They were invited to come. These were insiders in terms of uh, being uh, of the people of Israel, the people of God. But they were out in the fields. We're all outsiders. Do you get that? Now, about the shepherds who were abiding out in the fields, it's often taught that they were a disdained class in Israel. They were looked down upon, that people despised shepherds. It comes from, and you probably have heard that before if you've ever heard messages on, on the shepherds. The Greeks, Aristotle in his writings reflected that kind of disdain for the shepherd class. It's like people might look down on the gypsies. I don't know all the PC correct stuff on that. Is that a bad thing to talk about? But people look down on gypsies as traveling nomadic thieves, right? Please forgive me if I've offended anybody. That's the way Aristotle talked about shepherds. They were nomadic and they weren't to be trusted and they were dirty. The... uh, uh, The Talmud reflects the Mishnah with some of the same disdain, but that comes from a Babylonian perspective, uh, actually. In the Bible, I don't find that kind of disdain for shepherds. In the Old Testament, there would have been the backdrop to to this event in in Luke. We find the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. We find David called from being a shepherd. Yes, he was the least of the brothers, that kind of fits into our outsider theme this morning. When Samuel went to anoint the next king of Israel, Jesse brought all of his sons before Samuel, and God was telling Samuel, Not this one, not that one, not that one, it's not this one either. And he got to the last one, and Samuel said, Isn't there anybody else? And it was, Oh, it's just, just the youngest brother, David, but he's out in the fields with the sheep. Now, it wasn't that they were looking down on David, but the youngest got the chore. In fact, the, in our manger scenes, have you ever noticed that shepherds always represented as maybe 35, 40-year-old men who are there? Do you know how they, the shepherding actually works in, this, in the biblical times and even now? The 35, 40-year-old men are sitting back under the tree watching the kids take care of the sheep. So outsiders in many ways, David the youngest Not even thought of as a possibility. Yet God called him to be king, to be a shepherd king. It was a positive thing. But even as a positive thing, they represented the the lower class, the meek, the the lowly, the powerless. They were outsiders in that sense. Have you come to worship this morning with any sense of being an outsider? Yes, everybody knows by now that suicides are up at Christmas it's because things that are wrong in life are harder to take at such a special season. If you, you come to church and you look and around and others seem to be happy and families getting together. And, but there's a, a sense of loneliness of being an outsider in, in your heart. This message is for you. But perhaps you've, you're at a high point in life. Perhaps your life is full right now. Perhaps you're on top of things. This is a time of blessing. You need to remember that you're an outsider too, an outsider to the Garden of Eden, apart from the work of Christ to call you back in. The high and mighty things, the fullness of life, is not stuff that lasts forever. And if we worship it, it becomes a terror because we become afraid of when we're going to lose it. Isn't that the case? So we're all outsiders, but the shepherds weren't given this position of disdain. Let's talk a little bit more about they were abiding in the fields. The word behind fields is agros, the Greek word. It was where we get the word agriculture. It was a cultivated field. And there's this theory about uh, the pattern, the, the, the annual rhythm of shepherds abiding in the fields. The shepherds would uh, take their flocks out into the wilderness in the spring and the summer and they'd have to go looking for grass. It was a very arid place, and the shepherds would have to lead the sheep from one place to another, and to find a green pasture was the leadership task of the shepherd. It makes the 23rd Psalm come alive, because in the arid place to say, the Lord is my shepherd, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures, What a blessing that kind of leadership is. In the wilderness, you have to lead sheep around. There's no one place that you can just live year-round and provide adequate food. That was in the spring and summer. In the fall, these cultivated fields would be harvested. And in the Old Testament, there was provision for the poor in this way. The owner of the field was prohibited from gleaning his field twice. He had to leave what he couldn't get in the first sweep to leave it behind. That was God's provision for the poor. They could come in and gather food for themselves. Yet God has a way of, of providing. And he's, basically, there's maybe a general application from us that we shouldn't be so tight and so efficient that we crowd out to those that might get the spillovers of, of blessings and, and mercies. That was a provision in the Old Testament. But think about that in terms of the, the calendar year here. In the fall, after harvest, There'd be a couple of weeks where the poor could come in and gather all the rest of the crops that they could get. Then what's left is stubble. And that's when the shepherds were allowed to come into the the cropland and the sheep would serve the the owners of the fields by eating up the stubble and fertilizing the fields for next year. It was a great rhythm. Now, when would that place the birth of Jesus? It's the only indication I've ever read that I think has some credibility to, to figure out when Christ might have been born. Now, and I'm going to give a caveat to it in just a minute. But in this uh, rhythm, harvest was in September, late September or so. Hmm. So we celebrate Jesus' birthday on December 25th, not because the Bible says he was born on December 25th. It was 4th century Christians that... Uh, decided this is the day we're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus that doesn't make them wrong I don't think we have to be uh, the, the Christian that says oh behind the the Christmas celebration was the pagan worship of the winter solstice so we can't participate in Christmas I'd say wait a minute let's say the Christians are sanctifying the world we are taking what was pagan worship, and on the darkest day of the year, we're celebrating the light of God coming into the world through the, Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. No better time of year to celebrate Christmas, right? But his birth is not announced in Scripture. The day of his birth is not announced in Scripture. It was probably in the fall, because that's when the shepherds would have brought their sheep into the fields. They couldn't have brought them into the fields in the spring or summer, they would have eaten up the crops. They didn't compete with the poor. And then in the middle of the winter, it was so cold, they would enfold them and take them in more to protect them through the winter uh, months. So that's likely the time that the shepherds were in the fields. Keeping watch over their flocks at night. What were their flocks for? Oh, for all the ordinary stuff in terms of uh, food and clothing, yes. But there was something more to these Israelite shepherds When you think of the Old Testament sacrifices, every shepherd understood sacrifice for sin because that was part of the purpose in raising the sheep and other herds. There were different sacrifices of bulls and goats and and sheep in the Old Testament. These who were near Jerusalem uh, might particularly have been uh, involved in that. The Mishnah, uh, the Jewish Mishnah says, uh, let's see, uh, rats, phones go all over the place. I'll just tell you what the Mishnah says. The Mishnah says that, uh, that the shepherds were prohibited from keeping their sheep anywhere but in the wilderness except in the fields outside of Jerusalem because they would take care of the flocks that were for temple sacrifices so it may be that in this little narrow place that sheep could be kept year-round in, in some way, or at least that's when they would come in, they would come into this place uh, in, after harvest because they were allowed, because they were to provide for the, the temple sacrifices. People who came to, to worship God in the temple from way far away, too far away to bring their own sacrifices, would, would come and buy from the flocks around Jerusalem. These shepherds in the fields of Jerusalem knew all about the substitute, what we call substitutionary atonement. Sin will be covered, that's what atonement means, by a substitute who dies in our place. That, was, that is what was pictured over and over and over in the Old Testament. So when the angels announced to the shepherds, today in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you, they would have had some notion of what a savior would do. And they must have wondered. They must have at least planted the seed. What, how is he going to save us? Perhaps they didn't get it all. Perhaps they didn't connect it with their lamb sacrifices yet. But when Jesus grew up and John the Baptist said. Behold the lamb of God. If anyone hearing that had been a shepherd. They would thought. Oh what does that mean? What is, what is he going to do? For unto you is born this day a Savior. The shepherds understood sacrifice for sin. We don't know how much they understood that this baby would be that sacrifice. It doesn't seem that that's declared yet. They were mystified at how the Messiah would come and be stricken, be crushed, be bruised, as Isaiah 53 says, for our iniquities. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned each one to our own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of of us all again, shepherd imagery there, the shepherds were given special notice. now, this is interesting because the magi were the high class attendants of the, of the court in the courts of kings, but they were outsiders in the sense of being from the east, probably the Babylonian region daniel 's witness in Babylon had carried down through the generation so that some knowledge of the Messiah to come to these Jews, the new king that would be born, the kingdom that was to come from him. They would have remembered Daniel's explanation of the dreams of the statues and the kingdom to come. They were curious about that. They were interested in that. They studied that. And they came from a high position outcast in a different way to worship Christ But they only got the glimmer of God's glory revealed to them. It seems like in the high station, that star, as special as it was, was just a peak. It's like somebody put a pinprick through the skies into the glories of God in heaven and allowed his glory to be revealed to these magi far off. It was to the poor and humble out in the fields outside of Jerusalem who raised the sheep that provided sacrifice for sin that God personally announced by angel messenger, be, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. If you're feeling outside in any way, if you are wondering where, why everybody else gets the blessings, if you... Have that in your soul at all. Remember, it was God who, through angels, speaks to you as he speaks to the shepherds. And he announces to you this marvelous, marvelous birth of his son into the world. They were given special notice. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in the manger. Now, that's interesting for those who might have felt Outside the blessings, those who were out in the cold, those who had the hard job, the menial labor job, the the uh, uh, minimum wage job, uh, at, they were out there. But this king, this Messiah, this savior to be born was lying in a manger. Do you see the grace in that? It's not go to the palace and give tribute to the king who's high and mighty and so far above you. God the king who is so high and mighty so far above you has come down and is even more outcast than you. This baby is lying in the manger. Special notice was given to the shepherds. Finally, the shepherds came and worshipped. Have you ever thought about how the shepherds could have responded? Are there any other alternatives? In verse 15 it says, When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. What uh, might the shepherds have said to one another? That was crazy. Did you see that? Did anybody, anybody been eating strange mushrooms around here? That's unbelievable. But we're busy. We've got responsibilities. Telling us to leave our sheep. Oh, that that must have been a delusion. We fell asleep. And we had a mass dream, which is not possible. But that's the kind of of explanation that our world has given to Christ coming into the world, and not just to the birth of Christ, but to his death and to his resurrection. The guards uh, went to the, the, the Pharisees, and they said, this is what happened. And the Pharisees said, tell everybody the disciples came and stole the body. See, the the shepherds could have reacted in one of these ridiculous ways because that's the way the world responds to God. But instead, they said, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph. They were eager to go. How eager are you? Are you are you worn down by the world? Are you filled up with the world and so busy that it we need to go to church for christmas but then let's get about the real excitement or is it you hurry off and are eager to worship christ and then all the work of celebration that accompanies it is is about what god has done for us in the lord jesus christ i don't mind the busyness of christmas at all because the birth of jesus is worth celebrating it is but remember to hurry off And worship Jesus. Come on, come on Christmas Eve, Tuesday night. We have two services, five o'clock and seven o'clock. And we will walk through the, it's a very simple service. We've had our uh, grand uh, Christmas concert. And this one, we'll just sing carols, much like the Sunday school was this morning. We'll sing carols, read the passages, and come up to communion to remind us of why Jesus came. Hurry off to worship. Christ so did uh, Mary and Joseph so did the shepherds and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger when they had seen him they spread the word concerning what had been told told them about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them see that is one clue that they're not disreputable the people would not have listened to disreputable people spreading something like this they were credible witnesses Humble witnesses, but credible witnesses. And the people were amazed at what they told them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. You can almost picture the movie of it where everybody's scrambling around. But the camera's just focused on Mary who's sitting there. She's the one who's quiet. She's the one who's still. Because she's thinking about what the angel had promised. She knows more than anybody else the experience Of not knowing any man, and yet by the Holy Spirit conceiving and bearing this child, she knows how special this is. And she's just in awe at the shepherds coming to worship and later the magi uh, coming in from the east. She treasured these things up and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just. As they had been told, a last application here from the passage, Um, and that is they returned to their fields. God did not change their circumstances. But they were praising God. They were glad for all the things that they had heard and seen. They knew what God was doing, sending his son into our world. They at least had a taste of it. And they were praising God, even though the circumstances didn't change. Do you get the lesson in that? God is not in the business of fixing our world so that we fall in love with a fallen world and and live for it, for it instead of for him. Oh there are times that he does marvelous things, answers to prayers. In Hebrews eleven, they conquered kingdoms, they received back their dead. These are the heroes of faith. But in the same breath it's and they were destitute, wanderers, they were persecuted, they were sawn into heroes of faith, for God did left the difficult circumstance these shepherds returned to their same life. And I ask you now just to imagine what it was like from the perspective of a young shepherd boy. I've had three Christmas stories. Two weeks ago, was about the innkeeper. And the theme was that the innkeeper thought that God had sinned against him. And he was mad at God. Last week, we looked at one who did the sin, one of Herod's soldiers. He did that on Sunday night. And then with the Herod's soldiers... He thought his sin was too great to be forgiven. This is a little bit different vantage point. And for you children in here, in this reading, in this story, I'm going to use the word stupid. Okay? I want you to know that you're not to follow my example. This is from a bad attitude of the shepherd boy. He's expressing a bad attitude when he uses the word stupid. Parents, there's only one place that I would recommend you let your kids use the word stupid, and that is sin is stupid. Sin is stupid. Let them say that. In fact, if they call their brother or their sister stupid, go go to your room and write out sin is stupid a hundred times. Okay? That, That might help ingrain it in their hearts. That's an attitude you want them to have. But... Don't call your brother or sister or anybody else stupid, okay? My name is Jesse. I'm a shepherd. I hated that when I was younger. All the other boys in town could sleep inside in beds of their own. But I, I had to sleep outside. You know, shepherds in their fields abide, keeping watch over some stupid sheep. While everyone else is fast asleep. I felt so alone, so left out. So unimportant. I had my doubts that God had ever thought about me. I was nobody outside the city. Then one night an angel appeared. He said to us, Do not fear. I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. Could he mean me? For unto you is born this night in the city of David a Savior, the Christ. And this will be your sign, he said, He'll be wrapped in rags, in a manger laid. That did not sound so grand to me, a Messiah born in such poverty. My fellow shepherd said, let's go to Bethlehem to see if it's so. We found him just as the angel had said, a newborn babe in a manger bed. I didn't feel the other's joy as we went back to our fields, I thought. What difference does it make if he is the Christ? Here we are outside at night keeping watch over these stupid sheep while everyone else is fast asleep. I was still so alone, so left out, so unimportant. I had my doubts that God ever thought. Well, maybe. What if God did come to us in that baby? Not just in the angels who appeared in the sky, but in that baby born outside the comfort of all the homes and beds who slept in the manger in the stable instead. I decided to change my point of view. I'd have a better attitude. I took as a pet my own little lamb. He became my closest friend. He was perfect, without spot. He was the very best of all the flock. I loved my lamb. And he loved me. I called him by name and he followed me. Then one day, my father came and took my lamb. He explained, we give to God the very best to die for sin, that we be blessed. My perfect lamb would be sacrificed in Jerusalem the following night? I couldn't believe it. How could the blood of my little lamb do any good? And if it were true, why week after week did they keep sacrificing sheep? Couldn't they sacrifice only one perfect lamb and let it be done? Was my sin so bad that this had to be? I don't think I'm as bad as he who could do such a thing to innocent sheep. I was so angry, so put out, so powerless. I had my doubts that God was good or that he cared, my father took him. I hardly dared to think about what would be done to my little lamb, my chosen one. And then, about three years ago, a prophet, John the Baptist, told us to prepare the way for the Lord by repenting of sin. At his word, many were baptized. I walked away. I had no use for a God who made a sacrifice, the best we have, that thus supposedly to be saved. Then something happened. John looked up and cried, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He looked at a man about 30 years old, a Jesus of Nazareth, I was told. Rumor had it he had been born in Bethlehem, Mary's son. Is it possible? Could he be the baby we went out to see? The baby when angels appeared to us that night announcing the birth of a savior, the Christ? Was he God's lamb? God's chosen one? What would God allow to be done to him? I had my doubts, but I followed him to hear him out. The sick were healed at his command. He taught things I could understand. He said, I'm the good shepherd for my sheep. Over them my watch I'll keep. I love my sheep, and they love me. I call them by name, and they follow me. No greater love has a man than this, that he should, da- he should lay down his life for his friends. I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life For my sheep, now I did not know many shepherds like that. I admired this Jesus of Nazareth. Last night, he prayed in Gethsemane, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, thine be done. What was about to happen to him? Now I know. He was led away like a lamb to the slaughter. Oh, unholy day. They mocked and beat him and nailed him to a cross. He did not deserve to be treated thus. He was perfect without spot. And yet it was the will of God that he should die a sinner's death between two thieves upon a cross. I looked at him in bitterness. I had no use for a God who made a sacrifice the best we have. But he looked at me with love in his eyes. Father, forgive them. I realized he was dying for me. He was the lamb sacrificed to pay for sin. I knelt and put my trust in him. All my grief and loneliness, my anger and my bitterness were washed away by his shed blood, by the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. It is accomplished, this he cried, then he died. The death of my little lamb had pointed to him who truly accomplished atonement for sin. Do you ever feel outside and alone? Do you ever have doubts about God's love? Remember me, a shepherd boy who felt left out, but now filled with joy. Don't walk away. Come to him who came to us in Bethlehem. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift, for the birth, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would enable us by your Spirit to turn to embrace him as our own Savior and Lord, our good shepherd. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.